Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you with us today. If you have your Bible, would you take it? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, um, actually Matthew chapter 6, and um, the passage that Pastor Dave read for us, that'll be our teaching text. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, though, so uh, be ready to shoot over there. I was, I was thinking as Pastor Dave was speaking about his sabbatical and what energizes him, I was wondering what energizes me, and uh, I was thinking a month of Steeler games would be great. Um, although I was not sure if that would be energizing or frustrating one way or the other. So I've got four years, so I'm on the clock. And um, so if you know of tickets in the next four years, send them my way. We'll see what we can do with them. And um, uh, maybe by that time, they'll have their act together and we can actually get going on the stuff. So anyway, let me ask you this as you turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, have you ever had one of those moments where <clears throat> you've woken up and you feel completely disoriented? Have, I mean, you, you're in such a deep sleep that as soon as you wake up, <clears throat> you almost wake up in a panic, right? Because you think it's like a certain day and you're supposed to be somewhere and you're supposed to. I've, I actually remember doing this, waking up and thinking it was a Sunday morning and I had to be here. So I got up and got showered and got out the door. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I just laid there and realized it wasn't. It was Saturday. And just that relief just washed over me. And, but you feel you, there are times when you wake up and you're completely disoriented. And you walk through part of the day trying to figure out, is it you? Is it somebody else? Is what's going on in the world where you're completely um, just, it just, life just sometimes feels backwards, doesn't it? And then, I don't know about you, but if you watch the news and you watch television and you watch the cable news programs and you see what's going on in our communities and in our schools and in our, uh, in our government, I don't care what political party you are, what's going on in our government and what's going on in the country and what's going on around the world, aren't there moments where you just sit there and you go, what? you're just disoriented and you're like, what is going on? in this world. And you just don't understand. And you're just looking at things like, have I missed something? Have I been completely uh, gone in my mind for a period of time? Am I, am I out to lunch on some things? And you look at what's going on uh, all around us and you just have that moment where you just think, life is really just upside down, isn't it? I don't know if you've caught the theme today in a lot of what we've been sharing with you, but there's this idea of examining our lives and the songs that we've sung and the scriptures that we read. There's been this theme of examining our lives and really trying to learn to trust God. He is faithful and he is great and he is enough and, and we should sing to him and we should dance for him and we should shout for him because he is enough for us to meet our needs. If you're like me, one of the things that you notice in this world that's upside down, as we try to cling on to the God who meets our needs, if you're like me, you've noticed that as we live in this world that, that seems upside down, it starts that way when we've made that decision to choose, when we've made the decision to follow Christ. That's when the world turns upside down. 
We say yes to Christ at some point in our life. And whether it's in that moment or another moment later on down the road where it all crystallizes for us and we give our lives fully to him, at whatever moment we fully engage with God and say, yes, I'm moving forward with you, all of a sudden it seems like the world around us is just upside down. It doesn't make sense. And we, we look for someone or something to grab a hold of to to uh to strengthen us and, and hold on to for those moments. There are moments and times when, when following Jesus, following His practices and His priorities are just upside down compared to what is happening in the world that we live in. Now, I'm not talking about the time when Jesus turns your life around. You've been living in one direction and He radically turns your life around and you start living in another. That, he does that and that needs to be celebrated. I'm not talking about those moments when he takes uh, our, our tears and turns them into laughing. I'm not talking about those moments where he takes our frustration and turns it into, into dancing. He does that. And that gets a lot of attention. But today what I'm talking about is the day-to-day grind of life. The everyday grind of life where we look. There, there, I've, are, you with, are there moments where we just walk in the day-to-day grind of life and go, this is completely upside down. This world makes absolutely no sense to me. But yet we still have to live in it. We still have to work in it. We still have to interact in it. And we are sitting there trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Our world is drastically different to what Christ has called us to. And I say it's upside down. Perhaps the greatest teaching on this style of living, following Christ and and understanding what it means to follow Him and comparing it to the social norms of our society. One of the greatest passages um, that Jesus uses to teach us about that is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's one whole teaching, those three chapters, one whole teaching. There's no break in what Jesus is doing in those chapters. It's uh, some of you, if you've been grown up in the church, you've been to Sunday school and those kind of things, you've heard it called the Sermon on the Mount. You might be familiar with that. Others call it a discourse on discipleship. Um, I prefer the more technical term of this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it really gets interesting. This is where real life in the kingdom as a Christ follower happens. This is what it's about. How do I live my life in this world that, that is saying all of these other things to me? I live my life this way, and Jesus spells it out. And when we live our life that way, we look at our world, we look at our society, and we say, this place is upside down. I don't know, how to, I don't know what you all are thinking, but as I follow Christ, this is what God calls me to, and this is how I live. Jesus, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, lays a foundation for what it means to follow him. A lot of us may have said yes to Jesus at some point. We prayed a prayer. We got our eternal security. We know that we're destined for heaven. But we miss the point where Jesus wants to drill down on our lives and tell us now, now that you said this, not only is eternity secured, this is now how you should live. John R. W. Stott, pastor and theologian, writes that this is the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. For it is his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and to do. 
You see, crowds of people will want to follow Jesus. Crowds of people will even claim that they follow Jesus. And so in these chapters, in these moments, Jesus takes an opportunity to share some words of truth, to share some words of living, to really distinguish those who are true followers of Him and those who are just in the crowd listening in. It's the difference between those who talk a good game and those who actually walk the walk. Take a look back at Matthew chapter 5. Just should be, maybe it's on the same page as your Matthew 6 or just a page back. Matthew chapter 5. This is where the, the scene is set. Let me paint this backdrop real quick before we get into the rest of the message today. Jesus is just beginning his ministry. He's about 30 years old. He's already been baptized by John. He already went into the desert to be tempted by Satan. He's emerged from there, pure and holy, ready to start his his earthly ministry. And he calls his first disciples, come follow me. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me and you'll see the miraculous. Come follow me and we'll turn the world upside down. Come follow me. And so the, the disciples, those of which he's called already, start to follow him. And as he begins his ministry, he starts going to towns and he's, he's teaching and he's healing people. You can imagine that that draws a crowd. And so this crowd comes around to hear what this guy has to say, to see what he's doing. And as he moves from town to town, the crowd gathers wherever he goes. They've heard of this guy. And so they gather in around him to hear what he's saying, to see what he's doing. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says that, that when Jesus saw the crowd, he entered this certain town. And when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside. And his disciples followed him. And he turned to them. And he began to teach them. What's interesting is this whole section opens. This whole section begins that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It begins with Jesus understanding that the crowds are looking in and trying to figure out who he's all about. He steals away to a high mountainside where he can be seen and heard by everyone. He sits down, which is a position of authority as a teacher. He sits down, and who does he teach? His disciples. As the crowd gathers in and his disciples follow him to that point, he looks right in the eyes of the disciples, and he says, Blessed are you. Blessed are you when? Blessed are you when? Blessed are you when? You want to know how to live your life? This is how you are supposed to live your life. You want to know how to act in the world? This is how you act in the world. He's engaged directly with those who have called themselves disciples and followers of him. His teaching, as Matthew 5 opens, his teaching is directed, locked, zeroed in on the disciples. He does it in a manner so that as the crowds gather, they can hear what he's saying. But these instructions are for those who have said, yes, I will follow Christ. And he said, you want to follow me? Good. Here's what you need to know. And he dives in and, we, and Matthew writes 5, 6, and 7 of that chapter. These disciples are the ones that he had called and specifically asked them to follow him. And this new group, 
this new group of followers, they need to understand and realize, and they need to be instructed on what their new commitment involves, as R.T. France writes. France continues on to say that this section of Matthew is intended for those who have responded to Christ, like you and me, those who have responded to Christ, to learn what life in the kingdom of heaven is really about. Because we are called to a radically new lifestyle in conscious distinction from the norms of the rest of society, a Christian counterculture. It's upside down. What God has called us to, what Christ has taught us about in, his, in, in following him is completely upside down to what this world is about. If you feel upside down, when you look at what's going on in our culture and what's going on in society, if it bothers you to the fact where you feel like everybody has lost it, it's upside down, that's a good thing. You're probably locked into the Spirit of God and God is probably teaching you something about what He wants you to do and who He wants you to be. Jesus stole away high on a mountain and spoke directly to His disciples. The second thing that we see in the opening of Matthew 5 as he sets the scene are the crowds that seem to be gathering. As he speaks to his disciples and the crowds begin to mingle in, he speaks in a way that he doesn't whisper it just to the disciples, but he's locked in on them. But if you're going to gather in around and hear what I have to say, I'm going to make sure everybody gets to hear what I have to say. It's directed at the disciples, the audience is the greater crowd community. And as, he, as we get to the end of chapter 7, here's what we notice. Chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, all of five, all of six, and all of seven, again, one sitting, one teaching, one discourse directed at the disciples in the earshot of the crowds, this is what happened. When he had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He taught as one who had authority and they were amazed. What would he be amazed about? What would someone in the crowd be amazed about this teacher, this one who is speaking? It had to be the messenger. It had to be how he presented himself, but it also had to be the message. This is something that they had never heard before. This is a teaching that they had never understood before. They had other teachers. They had other people that were sharing um, the rules of society and rules of living. But when Jesus spoke, this was different. When Jesus spoke, he said something that was, that was not normal. When Jesus spoke, he turned the kingdom upside down. And the people were completely amazed at what he said. And they were locked in. And they were glad to hear this new teaching. Jesus takes that opportunity, zeroes in on his disciples in earshot of the crowd so that he can teach them how they should live in this kingdom. Now, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to uh, the church, if you're just exploring kind of what, um, God is all about, what the church thing is all about, you may not understand how amazing it was at what Jesus said. It may not register with you. You may think, amazing, what's so amazing about the kingdom that Jesus brought? What's so amazing about 
the church. I mean, you know, you go and you sing a few songs and you write a check and you pass the plate and you go home and you show up next week trying to stay awake, right? I mean, that, that's church, right? Jesus said it's completely different. This isn't what you're used to. He turns their world upside down. What they would expect to hear from a teacher of religious law, of religious practice, Jesus completely turned it around. And if you've ever read through this section of Matthew, you know that, don't you? You know that Jesus completely turns the world upside down for those who choose to follow him. You know that Jesus said that there's a huge difference between someone who is, how, how Jesus called people to live in faith and how they were living under religious rules. And that's true for us today. You know that there is a, a drastic difference between what Jesus says about living according to faith and what it means to live according to religious rules. Drastic difference. Freeing, in fact, if we would read Jesus' words and live by his words instead of the commands and the teachings of men. It's absolutely freeing what Jesus has to say. Jesus says uh, that there's a huge difference between the walk of a true follower of Christ and those who are in the crowd that follow from a difference. There's a drastic difference from being in the crowd to being a follower. And this is the difference. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus says that this life is completely different from society. You see, society... Society says to walk through life with a swagger. Society says to walk around with an attitude, to puff up your chest, to to push people aside, to step on whoever you need to step on, to get to wherever you need to get, to move across and move up in this world. That's what society says. But Jesus says, you are blessed when you are humble in your spirit, for your reward is in heaven. Society says, you know, when you see someone that's attractive, if someone's good looking and you want to, you want to, you know, just play around and flirt with them and see what it's all about and, you know, just have some fun on the side, nothing too serious, nothing. That's okay. Just go and see what they're all about. Check them out. Nuzzle up next to them. It doesn't matter if they have a wedding ring on or not. That's just, we're just having fun. What does it matter? Jesus says, When you look at a person lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Our society says that if you you don't ever let somebody disrespect you. In fact, if somebody disrespects you, you should stand up to them, push back. And in fact, what we've seen in our community and in our neighborhoods happening this week, you should just pull your gun out and just start shooting wherever you want to shoot without regard to whoever's around you. Because that's what we do. We'll show you. You don't step up on me. I'm going to step up on you. That's what our society says, doesn't it? And Jesus says, if somebody has harmed you, if somebody has offended you, if somebody has struck you, turn the other cheek and let them hit that one too. The path that Christ sets out for his followers is completely upside down from the way our society operates. It should challenge us to examine our own lives and say, am I really living the way Christ wants me to live? 
Am I really living and acting and doing and becoming the person that Christ wants me to be? Am I measuring up to his character, to his priorities, to his practices? That's the life Jesus calls us to. Now let's drill down on one more this morning with the time that we have left. Matthew chapter 6, it's what I asked you to turn to. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Listen to these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Again, Jesus is setting, this is what it's like to live in the kingdom. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Verse 24, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, why are we stopping on this one this week? Of all the different passages, of all the different teachings that that we could have pulled out of the Sermon on the Mount, why are we stopping on this one? Why are we going to drill down on this one today? Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Phil Della Medelia and I, uh, Phil teaches our financial peace program here at the church. He and I were invited to sit in with our finance team um, to look at the the finance finances of our church, um, and they asked us, "What are some?" They asked us into a brainstorming meeting. What are some things that we could do proactively as a church to help um, cover the gap that we've seen develop over the last uh, six months or so? As it, as it relates to expenses and giving here at the church. And so we were brought into that and we started to brainstorm some ideas. And uh, we wanted to do, their, their heart was, let's take some proactive steps. And what we uh, came up with, at least in a very short kind of intermediate, interme- uh, temporary, that's the word I'll use, temporary, it's late, um, step is what we saw for the past couple of weeks that was running, that was running in our church news sheet. Um, a little section in there uh, that Norm Adams, our, our treasurer of the church, wrote on uh, uh, covering the gap or bridging the gap, something about the gap, not the store at the mall, but the gap in our church's finances. And so he wrote that piece. So that's why that was in there for the past couple of weeks. And then last week, that's why Norm got up and uh, spoke at our annual meeting about the financial situation of our church. And I'll tell you, I think Norm Adams did an outstanding job last week uh, relating the finances here of our church. In fact, you know, when you, when you think about two things, one, having to give a treasurer's report, I mean, everybody's going to be like checking out mentally, right? Anyway, but secondly, when you have to do it in, this, in a church context, then that gets a little, you know, ouchy and people are going to get their feelings hurt and things. Norm did an absolutely fantastic job. In fact, I think he preached that announcement last week instead of just reported on it. Fantastic. He was in our first service and I said the same thing. It was great. So that's why those, those couple things have happened the past couple weeks. And then we come to today because one of the other things that we said in our, in our meeting is we need to, we need a little more pulpit teaching on finances, stewardship, and those kind of things. So, so that's, I drew the short straw today. And um, no, honestly, this is great. Because what we're talking about is stewardship. What we're talking about today is really this fact that we are called to live upside down as it relates to the social norms of our culture and our communities. If we are to be true Christ followers, Christ 
has called us to live differently, radically different from the culture that we live in. And no matter how we approach the idea of giving to a local church, it ultimately comes down to one thing. How do we reconcile our faith and the financial stewardship that God has entrusted to us? In other words, how are we as Christ followers leveraging our finances which God has entrusted to us? What will we do that? We call ourselves Christian. We call ourselves Christ followers. We understand that God has called us to a different standard of living. So in that different standard of living that turns everything upside down in this world, how are we as Christ followers, disciples, where Jesus looks us straight in the eye and teaches us, how are we to leverage our finances for the kingdom? What is he asking of us? And as we talked that night in that finance team, we realized that we need to do a better job. We at this church need to do a better job at teaching good biblical stewardship in all areas of our lives. Not just finances. But God has entrusted to us not just money, which, we, which He graciously gives to us through our employer because of our good and hard and honest work, but God has also given to us um, talents that are to be used not only in society and in our jobs, but for the kingdom. And He's also given us calendars that we are to manage and be able to invest our time in the kingdom as well. And next week, Pastor Keith is going to pick up on investing the stewardship of our time and our talents. It's not just about finances, but it's about every area of our lives. We need to look, at, look with, with good biblical principles how God is asking us to steward those things which he gives to us. Finances being one of them. And in this manifesto of being a Christ follower, this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us that framework to help us think through this issue. He says in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, given this verb structure here, Jesus is addressing something that is already happening. He's speaking to the disciples. As he speaks to the disciples, he sees the crowd start to gather in. And he understands that this is already happening in their lives and in the lives of the, of the crowd, the people in the crowd. They are already storing up for themselves treasures here on earth. It's not just that they're accountable for today. And it's not just that they're planning appropriately for tomorrow, but the excess of what they have. They're investing in temporary and temporal things. They're investing in the things of right here and right now with absolutely no regard for an eternal investment. They're not thinking at all about how we could put this into the hands of God and see what God would do with, with the abundance and the excess that He's given to us. It doesn't even enter their mind that they would be able to support and invest treasure in the kingdom. Perhaps some of this is because all of their giving was not really an act of worship at that point. 
Israel was a theocracy and they were actually, it was almost like a tithe. Their tithe, I'm sorry, was almost like a tax. They were compelled to give. At that point, they did not give out of the generosity of their heart. They did not give with an attitude of joy. They did not give with an attitude of, of worship by and large. They gave because they were compelled. They, they were compelled to give by the government and the religious leaders. They had to do it. There's no joy when you have to. There's no peace when you have to. Right? I mean, April 15th was just a few days ago. There's no joy on that day unless you got it back. And then we have to give to certain things. And there's no joy when we do that. We don't give that out of a, a grateful heart. We just do it. It's another thing we got to check off the list. And Jesus is saying, Jesus is turning this whole thing upside down. He says, stewardship, finances, I want you to have joy. And I want you to invest not in this stuff, not in the temporary and, and not in the temporal, not just living for today. But I want you to invest in eternity. I want you to be accountable for your bills. I want you to plan ad- adequately for tomorrow. But the excess, the abundance, I want you to think about investing it in the kingdom. John Stott tells how Jesus speaks to the selfishness of culture storing up for ourselves, not thinking of the needs of other people. Speaks to the hard-heartedness which does not feel the needs of our world. The foolish fantasy that one's life consists of the abundance of my possessions and the materialism which ties our hearts to the earth. It means being covetous as one who hoards and one who always wants more. That's the attitude that Jesus saw. That's what was going on already. And so in Jesus' style, he turns it upside down and he says, instead, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven that can't rot away, that can't be wasted, that can't be stolen. Stir up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he points to their attention to investing in that which is eternal. Granted, he leaves the door wide open. He doesn't tell us how to do that. He doesn't tell us what it looks like. He doesn't give us a list of appropriate organizations to contribute to. He just says, turn your treasures loose in the kingdom. I think he does that for, for, for the very fact that he wants people to examine their own lives, to see where they line up in their homes with the wealth that God has given them and the abundance that they have, and to determine in their own heart what groups, what organizations, what place, what part of the kingdom they will contribute to. Again, they have understood giving to God not as an act of worship, but as a, as, as a duty to do as a tax. He's turning it upside down and saying, don't look at it that way. You need to look at giving back as an act of worship. And as you do that, I'm going to trust you, trust you to examine your heart and give to the right place. Invest in the right opportunity. Decide for yourself. What I'm sure that this, what Jesus is not saying is that a follower of Christ shouldn't have material possessions or provisions. This is not, and I want to be clear on this, this is not a call this morning to live like a pauper, 
This is not a call this morning to sell everything that you have to live like a pauper down by the river. That's not what this is about. This is about living with a kingdom mentality. This is not about living for living, uh, selling everything and living for your, the rest of your life in one little cabin in South Dakota. You can do that if you're Pastor Dave, but you only get to do it for a week. That's not what this is about. This is about looking at what you have and asking God, where will I leverage this for the kingdom? In fact, R.T. France writes that Jesus and his disciples depended on people who did not divest all of their assets. Their ministry depended on people in the kingdom who understood that giving and investing in kingdom and eternal things mattered. And when they gave, they gave to the, act, the, the, the work of ministry and ministry went forward. Jesus and the disciples themselves depended on these friends who had a kingdom heart. And the New Testament speaks to that with those passages that are listed there. This idea continues today. This idea continues today that the advancement of the kingdom of God is dependent on the sacrificial giving of possessions and provisions of materials and of money by people who understand the importance of the mission of the church. This is how God designed the church to function. If you've got a problem with that, don't call me. Call God. Talk to him about it. I don't want your email this week. Email him. God has designed the kingdom to function on the generous giving of its people to support the ministry. Globally. Not just in a local church, but in countries and in regions and in all around the world through different organizations that put up the name of Christ. Jesus has, God has designed it that way. What was he thinking? He was thinking that he wants people to give joyfully and understand the blessing that comes from investing in the kingdom. To understand what it really means to invest in eternal values. Think about it. Jesus doesn't need our money. God does not need our money. God has, in fact, graciously given it to us to steward and to manage. God doesn't need it. He chooses to ask you to be involved in something for the kingdom. He's chosen you. He's looked you in the eye. And he said, this is how you live in the kingdom. This is what it means to follow Christ. It's about priorities, chapter, uh, verse 21. It's about priorities. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Our treasure follows and reveals the orientation of our heart. What, what do we really care about? Our treasure shows that. It's about priorities. It's about an eternal perspective. And Jesus is advocating that we actively seek to invest our assets 
in kingdom values, in kingdom priorities, and in kingdom principles. And yes, there are moments when it means money. Straight up money. And Jesus is asking us to think about how do you leverage, how do you leverage your excess for the kingdom? What are you doing with that? When we live upside down compared to our society, it doesn't mean that that times won't be difficult. It doesn't mean that we won't get to the 11th hour and still wonder, is God going to show up? It doesn't mean that we won't get to 11.59 on the clock and wonder where the next meal is going to come from. Or as Norm shared with us last week, where the bag of groceries are going to come from. When we live for the kingdom, it means that we learn to trust God at every moment, at every step. It might be hard and it might be difficult, and we might get to 11.59 and not know where it's going or how we're going to make it. Are you with me? Anybody experience that? Just last week, just, just, I think it was last week, the week before, we, did it, we, did, we experienced that in our house. Things, things were pretty tight. I was just honest, things were pretty tight. And we didn't know where, you know, I was starting to freak out about how we were going to make it to next week. And um, I had got a call, and I was a friend of the pastor at Cambridge Springs Alliance Church asked me if I would speak at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes Bible Study at Allegheny College. And I said, sure, I'll do that. Not a problem. He said, it's not a paying gig. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll just go and, you know, you just pick me up and tell me how to get there and we'll be all good. And so I uh, rode down and, and uh, met him at Edinburgh. And we drove down to Allegheny College, spoke and had a good time with college kids and uh, was driving back and he handed me an envelope. And he said, I just want to say thanks for having you speak. It was 60 bucks. I didn't expect that. In fact, he told me there wouldn't be anything. And I want you to know that came at the perfect time in our family because it got us through the week. Some of you may be thinking 60 bucks, that's gas money. That's true. For us in that moment, at that season, at that point, it was exactly what we needed. And you have stories like that in your homes and in your lives. When you invest in the kingdom, God will take care of our needs. When we walk by faith and invest in the kingdom, God will meet us at every point. He meets our needs. In fact, if you look at this passage, this, this Matthew 6:19, don't store up for yourselves treasures. If you broaden your view and you look at all of chapter 6, this is remarkable. In chapter 6, verse Verse 11, Jesus is speaking and the disciples kind of interject and they, the disciples, you'll remember this, they say, can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, I'll teach you how to pray. And what did he say? He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know this one, right? And he keeps going on. And then in verse 11, um, in verse, I forgot this one in first service too. I got to get back over my notes. Verse 11, he says this. What did he say? Give us this day our daily bread. Chapter 6, verse 11, he's already setting the stage. He's already saying to the disciples, you need to learn to trust God to care for your needs. When you pray, pray in a way that trusts God to meet your every need. And then he comes to verse 19 and he says, so don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
And then we get to the end of chapter 6. And what does he say at the end of chapter 6? Don't worry about tomorrow. Right? Because we're sitting there and we're going, okay, I've got to store up treasures on, in heaven, not on earth. I'm accountable for today. I've paid my bills. I'm doing what's smart and reasonable for tomorrow to be prepared for what may come. That I'm doing that. Now I have this excess and this abundance. If we were all honest, we really do have. And we sit there and we say, what do I do with that? I can, I can invest it in the kingdom in some manner or way, or I can where I can shore up some things here or I can buy some extra things here or I can invest it here because I don't, I'm worried about tomorrow. And Jesus says at the end of that, the end of that chapter, a little later in his conversation, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. It's about verse 28, 29, 30, end of 33. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And what does he say? Seek first what? The kingdom. Amazing, isn't it? 611. Pray to the Father in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Invest the, the extra, the ex- ex- excess in the kingdom. Don't store up treasure on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. And at the end of chapter 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Seek the kingdom. It all comes together. It's all about trust. It's all about trusting God for tomorrow. It's all about examining our lives and asking ourselves, am I being a good steward of what God has asked me to steward? Now, if you're here this morning and you think First Alliance Church is just interested in paying the bills, if you think that's the only reason we're doing this message, that we see a gap and, you know, I knew it. I was going to come, the big church. They're going to talk about money, always talking about money. Church is always talking. All they ever care about is money. If that's what you're thinking this morning, listen up. You've missed it. If that's what you think we're talking about this morning, you've missed it. I didn't say this in the first service. I have an elder down here. I'm going to say it. Can I say this? Keep your money. Is that okay? <laughs> if you think First Alliance Church is just concerned about money, and the only reason we, we preach this message is because we've got bills and there's a gap and we've got to cover the gap and we've got to do this and preacher man's up there telling me to write checks. If that's what you think, keep your money. We want cheerful givers who examine their heart and invest in the kingdom because they understand what it means to live in a world that's upside down. I get it. It's a heart issue. In fact, many of you invest in the kingdom in a number of different ways. Not only the local church, but other organizations. We're asking you to invest in the kingdom. God will direct your steps. God will teach you what to do. God will show you where to put your, your finances. Invest in the kingdom. I've got another elder over here. Is that okay? Well, wow. 
If First Alliance Church closes its doors because we can't pay our bills, that's a sad day. But if we never determine in our heart what it means to live in the kingdom and to live with kingdom values, that's devastating. And that will follow you every day of your life, no matter what church you attend. It's not about this church. It's about the kingdom. So here's the question for today. Are we living upside down? Are you willing to keep living upside down in the kingdom? Are we leveraging our lives for the kingdom or are we leveraging our lives for ourselves? First Alliance Church, we completely trust God to meet every single need. We're not worried. We're not panicking. We're not, we just understand we need to do this. We need to teach biblical stewardship. You decide. We're going to be faithful to God in our teaching and in our actions, and he'll be faithful to us. We trust that. How about you? Will you leverage what God has entrusted you with for the kingdom? Are we willing to trust God to meet our needs and to bless our lives as we live out this Christian manifesto? Well, maybe today you've realized that you really need to shift gears in your life and get back to living the life that Jesus looked you right in the eyes and told you to live. Maybe today you need to surrender how you invest your treasures that God has entrusted to you. Maybe today, maybe today it's not even about money. And it's about something else that Jesus has just, that God's just shown in your heart as we've spoken today. Something in your life that you need to straighten out with him. Maybe you just need to trust him. As our worship team comes, we're going to sing. And we're going to invite you to uh, respond to God in your heart. What has he been saying to you? How is he asking you to move and to act? How is he asking you to live this life we call Christian? How are we leveraging what God has blessed us with for the kingdom?